Hello and welcome to Your Life Choices with me, John Deeks, who has no credibility whatsoever, but <laughs> Kay Fallick, who has so much credibility because she's the founder of Your Life Choices. Hello there, Kay. Hello, John. How are you? I'm I'm feeling a little flat today. I think <laughs> I need to speak to somebody who might be able to lift me up. Can we do that a bit later on? I think you need to find out about your inner self. I need Humor Kay to be the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> I think he's just the man to do that. I think he is absolutely the man. I don't have to pay for the consultation either, which is great. <laughs> we'll explain more about uh, about Hugh shortly. But uh, uh, this is a chance to to talk to uh, people, to connect to people who are of interest and talk about subjects that, okay, you and I find interesting and hopefully our listeners do too and certainly encourage our listeners to uh, contact us to tell us about the kind of things they'd like to hear mentioned too. Exactly. Life challenges, John. Um, and boy, isn't life we, full of those. We have a few of those. And this year probably has um, really turned up the heat for many people. So today I'm excited because Hugh is a researcher, a psychologist and an author. Oh and he has been studying the Australian psyche for more years than you or I would dare to think. He has got to be bringing out yet another book very shortly. Already we, two. we have well, we have two to talk about, but there's got to be another one coming out. In the out pipeline. <laughs> after the uh, called, you know, COVID yes. and yes. Australia. What was that? <laughs> what, yeah. What were we thinking? Well, he'll know. Let's get Hugh on the line right now. Fantastic. Hugh McKay. Hugh, it's John Deeks and Kay Fallick here. Welcome to your Life Choices podcast, sir. Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm looking at your two books that are out now called The Question of Love, Sensational, and The Inner Self. There has got to be another one coming out called Hugh McKay Talks COVID and Australia Psyche. Ah, well, be patient. (laughs) (laughs) Because Hugh, you pump them out so regularly, you could do it in a heartbeat. Because I'm feeling a little bit flat, sir, and uh, most of us are. We've got uh, fatigue. Can you help us without charging us for a consultation? (laughs) Well, the best I can offer is an immediate response to that. Go, go. Yes, anything. Is to say when things are very grim and when we're going through difficult patches, whether it's something like this, a pandemic that's totally disrupted our lives or a bereavement or a retrenchment or something, it is always the case that we're going to learn something valuable from that about ourselves, about what it means to be human, about the way societies function, and, and generally speaking, the outcome will be positive, as it was, for example, for the generation who lived through the Great Depression. A terrible time, mass unemployment, a lot of hardship, a lot of people doing it tougher than we're doing it now. But most of the generation who were young adults during that period looked back on it and said it was absolutely awful and it was the making of us. Hugh, thanks for taking our call. Have a great day. Great pleasure. No, 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 no. You're absolutely right, sir. Absolutely right. And um, it's got to make society stronger, surely. Well, we'll come out of this individually. Most of us will come out of it as better citizens, more aware of our responsibilities as citizens, better neighbours better friends because we've missed 
our friends and we've, we've become conscious of the fact that the neighbourhood is our immediate social setting and we've often in the past neglected it or taken it for granted. You are so right, Hugh, because I know, I don't know about UK, but I've sort of got a list of, of people who I want to have over for dinner and I've actually started to, to book people and they said, oh, I can't make it that day. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got someone else. So, so Hugh, Hugh, you're right. Hugh, you're talking to locked up animals down here. And, and I know, I know. <laughs> we're all, we were all a bit edgy with it. stir crazy. Um, So to talk about the inner self, which is about the joy of discovering who we really are, this is a big book and we don't want to um, do it an injustice by trying to handle it too quickly. But the essential question in there is do we know who we are or are we bumbling through life trying to figure this thing out? It's it's a lifetime's project for most of us, and uh, but I think there is typically a period where the process of getting to know ourselves changes quite radically. For most of us, the first half of our lives, adolescence, early adulthood, even through to our middle years, we're quite preoccupied with establishing our place in the world, letting people know that we're here, letting them know who we are, and we do that by choice of job choice of partner, the sort of house we'll live in, the sort of car we'll drive, the way we'll dress. It's all to do with social identity. At at that identity building stage of our life, we're much more concerned about differences. And of course, identity is all about difference, how Kay is different from Hugh. Uh, And that can be on the basis of gender or ethnicity or uh, anything. Uh, that That's what identity is about. But for most of us, there comes a time, and it's often triggered by the so-called midlife crisis, which might be the 40th birthday or the 50th birthday or a pandemic or a retrenchment or a relationship breakdown or some other thing. It's often a feeling of frustration or disquiet or disruption that causes us to say there's actually more to me than this social identity that I've constructed for myself. And we start to look in. Uh, an American psychiatrist I've quoted in the book talks about the authentic being finally asserting itself. We, we begin to think perhaps there's a more authentic version of me. And when we look inside, we find something that seems paradoxical. The deeper we go into our inner life, to our inner self, the more we discover that it's not about the differences between you and me, but it's about our common humanity. That, I think, is the moment of personal enlightenment for most of us. And from then on, the journey changes. Once we get that insight, we realize that the essence of us is that we belong to a particular kind of species, humans, a social species where we are hopeless in isolation, where the differences between us are much less significant than the fact that we need each other. We need families, we need colleagues, we need neighborhoods, communities, groups of all kinds to nurture us and sustain us. And here's the crunch, in order to do that, we're going to have to treat each other decently. We're going to have to treat each other kindly and respectfully and compassionately. So the heart of the inner self, it seems to me, 
is the discovery that we are born as members of a social species with the capacity for love, the capacity for compassion, which is a very demanding discovery, which is why many of us look for ways of hiding from those demands. Hopefully this um, terrible COVID-19 time in our society, Hugh, will bring many of those things to the fore. We've now understood how we might all grow up and, and become adults. The sort of key insights in, in your book, Hugh, there's 20 ways we continually hide from ourselves. Now, sadly, we can't explore each and every one, but would you share just a couple that you think are the most dangerous or delusional? Yes, thanks, Kay. And bear in mind, there are two general points to be made about these hiding places. One is almost always we're hiding from love. I mean, we're hiding from the demands of love on us. Uh, When I say love, I mean compassion, really. I'm not talking about emotion. I'm not talking about affection. I'm talking about our responsibility to treat each other uh, kindly and respectfully. The other general thing to be said about them is that not all of these hiding places are hiding places for everyone. In other words, for example, one like busyness. A lot of people hide in their busyness. If they keep running hard enough, they don't even have to question why they're running. And busyness is a great way of postponing the encounter with the inner self. But for some people, they're just busy because life has dealt them that hand and they're going through a period of busyness. But the three particular hiding places that I think are are dangerous, um, perhaps the most dangerous and one of the most common is projection. And by projection, I mean uh, looking uh, at faults in other people and criticizing them for the very faults and frailties that exist in us. It's a very common psychological trick we play for ourselves. Uh, We know there's something we should be addressing, some flaw or some shortcoming in us. And instead of addressing it, we attack other people for the very same thing. Kay, don't stop looking at me, Kay. Stop looking at me. (laughs) (laughs) Another another one which at the moment, of course, is controversial because information technology has been the saving of us uh, through the pandemic and many people have used Zoom and emails and texts and Instagrams and Facebook posts to say nothing of the humble telephone as a means of keeping in touch when we're in lockdown. But more generally... Uh, information technology and our addiction, particularly to smartphones, is a very, very common hiding place because it's a constant, unstoppable torrent of data coming at us. And as long as we engage with that, as long as every spare moment we're scrolling through, seeing if we've got a message or checking uh, someone else's Twitter feeds or whatever it might be, that, of course, is the ultimate distraction from our inner life. It's keeping us. preoccupied with data and relieving us, really, uh, of the possibility of going inside. Uh, The third one that I'd I'd identify out of the 20 as particularly important and dangerous is what I've called masks and labels. And this is really where we settle for our social identity, for the external, the shell of who we are. We settle for that as if that's really us. And we can be very comfortable in that we can wear a particular mask 
or a particular label. And by the way, sometimes it's a literal label, like like dressing uh, in a particular designer label and letting that kind of tell everyone else what kind of person we are, which of course is nonsense. It's a very superficial expression of who we are. But these masks and labels that are to do with our roles and our responsibilities, it's very easy to think, well, I'm a son or a brother or a husband or a father or a neighbor or a social researcher or an author. That's all you need to know about me. And maybe that's all I need to know about myself. But that's a trap. Well, that's just a few of the uh, inner workings of ourselves that we must explore through The Inner Self, your great book. And uh, while we have time, I'd like now to move on to another Pan Macmillan book of yours. And uh, Pan Macmillan must just go wacko the did. Hugh's the gift that just keeps on giving because he just loves to write. And uh, moving away, so folks, do get a hold of The Inner Self if you'd like to know more of, about yourself and uh, help you get in touch with yourself. It's a, it's, a, it's a great read. But tell us about The Question of Love. It's, it's, it's a fiction. Yeah, The Question of Love is a novel which I first drafted about four years ago, and it's a very unusual structure. It's a bit like jazz improvisation, where the jazz musician establishes a theme and then goes off into all sorts of improvisations and then comes back to the theme. Well, the first and last chapter of this book are the statement and restatement of the theme, and then there are lots of improvisations and variations as we go through and gradually peel away the layers of this couple, Richard, an architect, and Freya, his wife, a violinist, uh, they're married. They've been married for 12 years. Uh, there are all sorts of difficulties between them to do with hiding from themselves and hiding from each other. And as we move through the book, it's a kind of forensic examination of their marriage. We gradually peel away the layers, and I hope readers will feel, as I felt when I was writing it, uh, that the more we get to know them, the better we understand some of the difficulties between them. And of course, there's nothing like peeping into someone else's relationship to clarify some things about your own. It's like asking a question on behalf of a friend, really, isn't it, Hugh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and which that's should we be reading first? Would you... Oh, you should get both of them. No, I know that, John, but, okay. but I, I'm not overly busy. I have one set of eyes, and do we read... Well... I have several friends who've told me that they were reading them simultaneously. I don't ah. mean literally simultaneously, but reading one and then a bit from the other, and they felt that the inner self illuminated the question of love. But I think um, most people will probably read the novel first because it's more fun and it's shorter, and then go deeper into those questions via the inner self. Have you had a Richard, in inverted commas, and a Freya, in inverted commas, uh, coming to you and going, that book's about us, Hugh, <laughs> isn't it? You wrote that about us. Have you had any not, of your... Not have, yet. Any of your it's only been out a week, so I, I, I'm hoping this will happen. <laughs> Hugh, it's been fantastic to speak with you, and yes, I am disappointed yeah. we don't have more time because I think oh, yeah. the, the, the way you reveal how to look at ourselves is of incredible interest to most of us trying to be grown-ups at age 50 or 60. So Or 70, hello. Yeah, <laughs> or 70. Or <laughs> Gosh, we're covering the decades. There and we are. Ian, our sound right. guy, the 20s, is 90. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
<laughs> so we, we thank you for the insights for an audience which is moving into retirement and maybe questioning old labels and looking for new ideas. Wonderful. Well, you've been very generous and it's been a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you.